The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's January 11th, 2024. And this episode kicks off the vacation shows. Yes, I am away from Chicago, visiting New Zealand and Australia For the first time, really looking forward to this trip with my wife as we get to explore new areas of the world together. While I'm on hiatus, I pre-recorded episodes to help keep you, our faithful listeners, entertained. I'm sure the Chicago White Sox will make some major news while I am away. That's usually how this works. And I promise we'll podcast about those moves when I get back. For those major moves, read Jim's coverage on SoxMachine.com. Now, while I embark on a 17-hour flight from Chicago to Auckland, New Zealand, I plan on downloading all of the shows and movies that I've wanted to watch. I've got plenty of time to binge, and I don't sleep well on planes. One recent film I watched is the story of Mike Vec called The Saint of Second Chances. For Chicago White Sox fans, especially those who grew up in the 1970s, This film is a must-watch. It begins with how Bill Veck bought the Chicago White Sox despite being underfinanced and convincing his son to help him run the team. The film takes the viewer on a voyage through the 1977 White Sox season, the Bards Room interactions down in the depths of Old Comiskey Park, invention of the luxury suites, and of course, Disco Demolition Night, which ends Veck's tenure as Major League Baseball owner and forces Mike to find his own path back into baseball. Eventually, Mike Veck finds his place within the baseball world and bringing his family into the business. Playing Mike Veck in the flashback scenes is Charlie Day, famous for starring It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and voice work in the Lego movie and recent Super Mario Brothers movie, He's Luigi. Join us to discuss the film, his family's legacy, and what's next for the Vec family is a first-time guest of the Sox Machine podcast. It's none other than Night Train Vec. And Night Train, thanks for coming on the show. Josh, thank you for having me. I feel like this has been a long time coming. A uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, and uh, <laughs> you know, you can see here 
it's uh, it's close to my heart. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. What was it like participating in the filming of uh, Saint of Second Chances? Oh, um, it's hard to describe. I guess uh, I'll try and do it in my less my less radio voice as as you tailor this. You, you sound fantastic, by the way. Well played. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I I'll try. Um, it's a wild ride. It's it's something that um, you know the the people that have seen it and and the rest of the country, even world, which is a mind blowing thing to say, uh, become a lot closer to you and know a lot more. Um, so it's a very intimate process and it's a very intimate moment uh, to be able to share and, and quite frankly, lucky. So I, I guess I'll kind of start with that. But um, yeah, you, you get a phone call one day from from somebody that's on on behalf of a, of a production company who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who Netflix and all that stuff. And, and here you are and uh, telling the story of um, you know, primarily my dad's life, but all of our lives. And, and uh, it, it was a really uh, humbling, wonderful, magical experience to be a part of that. What was it like when you watched the film and you see Charlie Day playing a younger version of your dad? I couldn't believe it. I, it, it was um, at first, it's really funny. So at first I didn't quite see it. And I guess that's why I work in sports and casting directors work in casting directors. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get it. And, and they, they told us the name and, and I just, and I was thinking too narrowly. I was thinking too narrowly with always sunny. And I'm a big fan of that and a big fan of his work in general, but then I Googled him and like the fourth image in at the time I looked at him and just thought, Oh my God, that's my dad. And it's like mid late thirties. This is unreal. I totally get it. So it was, it was surreal. Um, he did a wonderful job. I, I was actually just just joking with uh, my partner Lauren. She sent me a message earlier today that uses the um, Pepe Silvia uh, red lines Charlie Day meme, <laughs> and uh, I said, "Don't you dare bring my dad into this." Um, it, so it it was just it was wild, and and I think um, it was even more fun listening to my dad and watching him find out who Charlie Day was because. <laughs> He, he didn't know. So all of a sudden you've got this guy who's tremendously talented, tremendously funny being you on a screen, which is unreal. And, and then in kind of a new dimension um, and, and a new, um, I guess, side of him. And so it, it was, it was really funny. And, and I love the fact that my dad had no idea who he was because he got to then unlock that box and, and see the family business is hustling and I like how your dad puts it. It's creating street theater and let's just call it on a sports playing field. He says on a baseball diamond, but as we go further along this interview podcast listeners, you'll certain soon learn that it's more than just baseball now with the Vec family night train. Why did you get into the family business? Oh, uh, that's a good one. I, um, I don't know. I suppose we'll probably need, uh, me dressing up as my dad to, to really describe that adequately. Um, no, I, I think, uh, I think at first it was just complete immersion. Um, it's how I grew up. It's, it's almost everything I've ever known and, and loved. And it was a place where we could, um, bring in people into the connection that we had to the game and, and bring the community in. And I could see those moments and help create those moments 
way too early. I can't even imagine the child labor laws that were broken because of uh, my dad putting <laughs> me to work in the stadium. But um, it, 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 it came very early and honestly, and, and I helped him cut down sponsor banners and sold tickets and tour tickets and filled up Cokes and rolled hot dogs. And I think through all of those kinds of things, I, I fell in love with it. And as I got older, I really understood, hey, we're, we're a part of something really, really fun and really special. And, and I, I just never really looked back. And, and one of the big parts of the film, White Sox fans, uh, especially early on, is walking through Disco Demolition Night. And out of all the commentary about that particular night, I enjoyed on how the film walked through and how the idea came to be, the execution of the event, how quickly things got out of hand what the experience was like on the field. They have behind the scenes footage of what was going on inside the stadium. And of course the aftermath and how your dad shares the story night train that he wanted to quit that night with the role of the Chicago white Sox, but your grandfather wouldn't let him quit. And also your dad acknowledging, and uh, the film does a very good job of pointing this out. The commentary of calling out disco demolition night as a racist homophobic event and your dad is quite remorseful in the film about what ha- what happened and understands why people are offended and what transpired that night back in 1979 at Old Comiskey Park and admitted that he regretted the event ever took place. But you still see Disco Demolition shirts. And this upcoming season, I know somebody somewhere out there is going to celebrate Disco Demolition Night's 45th anniversary. Has your dad given you advice or parted any wisdom that you don't have a disco demolition event in your career? Yeah, that's, wow, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I guess it, it's a funny one because it, at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. And, I, and I'm really glad uh, that you mentioned this because it, it's complicated. There's a lot to it. And there's old interpretations and new interpretations and both and, and looking back on history and those kinds of things. So I think... You know, in, in terms of disco demolition itself, I, I think there are elements um, there that can be taken into the new age. And, and it's the first thing that I think any any person that's ever interacted with me professionally, it's the first thing that everybody asks is, when are you going to do your de- disco demolition night? And I'm like, I don't know if that's the best idea. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it was a it was a, a guy, a father, a son trying to draw people for his dad. That's that's all it was. And I, I think the other things that came from that, which he is remorseful for, is the offset, the cascading effect. And I didn't need too much time to understand that 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 event ruined a lot of things and, and hurt people in, in all kinds of different ways. And so I, I think I kind of got the message real quickly, <laughs> but it was it was an yeah. interesting and um, kind of. Uh, fun part of the team's history and his history and so i think when he and i talk about it now um it's making sure that when you are thinking about these kinds of things that you're thinking about them from a holistic perspective and and a diverse perspective i think you know that idea doesn't necessarily make it out of some rooms if there's somebody in the room that can tell you hey think about it this way and understand that there are other people that will be impacted in different ways and, and we'll see this differently. And I think that that's really important. And, and it's it, it was really a profound moment to have him, you know, say that to the wider public and, quite frankly, to me. 
eventually through the St. Paul Saints, for the if you haven't watched the film, everyone, I hope you will be watching the film. Maybe while you're listening to this or you're going to watch it on Netflix after you listen to this episode. Your dad finds his footing. And to quote you, you helped break several child labor laws working. And I enjoyed the footage of you guys at Charleston for the River Dogs, especially you wearing all the different mascot outfits. And what's amazing to me is that the film displays a family of baseball team owners who are underfinanced and fighting uphill, trying to find a way to survive. But then your dad keeps buying minor league and independent teams. And it got me thinking, Night Train, that this business model that your family has developed, not only is it excellent in building a fan community, a diehard fan community that supports its local team, but it must be successful business-wise if you guys continue to expand. Because look at the St. Paul Saints now. They're the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, and and it's still, um, I was going to say mystify just there. It doesn't mystify me. I know why. It's it's because of the way that they've approached things and their wonderful staff and, and all of the above. But it... Um, it amazes me every day. If you if you had told he, I, any of us at the beginning of this journey, starting at Porta Potty Suburban Midway Stadium in St. Paul, that it, it would be here, no one would would be able to comprehend. And and that's not to say there wasn't belief, because there was. I could I could think of a time I think where um Libby, my stepmom, she uh, she couldn't buy a sandwich because we were putting a scoreboard on the credit cards. And um, it was that kind of belief and, and faith that that kind of made things go. And, and that's what my dad had from the start. And so to see that they're, they're the affiliate of the twins is is just unbelievable. And, and I really appreciate your comments about uh, uh, supporting your local team and and building a fan base, because that's that's what it's all about. If you bring the town with you which is tremendously important, they'll support you. They'll support you in the times, the years that we all know are tough, that maybe we're going through a little bit now, um, in, in terms of the field and the outcomes, and they'll, they'll be there and they'll show up if you're there to compensate with fun and understanding and listening. And that then is justified throughout the winning seasons. And, and that's what it's all about, is, is having that fun and winning and combining the two and riding the lightning when you can't because they're not, it's not always going to be there and you've got to be able to show people that you care about them and the community instead of just saying well you know we need to get a first baseman this year what a great segue to the next topic i was going to ask you about because you worked for the white Sox from 2010 to 2016 and your last role with the team was a marketing manager and leading the fan engagement efforts what was that experience like working for the White Sox as a VEC and trying to engage fans during the 2015 and 2016 seasons, which, which weren't great. They were not great. I'll just put it mildly. They weren't great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I was there during a characteristically difficult we'll say stretch of time um <laughs> for every reason that i'm sure you and everybody listening knows um i actually looked back at a couple of those years and just thought wow how like how did we do it you know what one day you walk out and chris hale's cutting up your jerseys and the next day there's there's a fire that's taken your merchandise that you were supposed to get out to fans and and it, it's just it was an unbelievable experience but 
I totally forgot about the fire. Yeah. Oh my that, gosh. That, yes. The fire that made my life different. Um, but <laughs> it was, uh, surreal and it was wonderful. I, I, I loved my time there and I loved being able to do this, um, in, at a different scale, obviously in, in a town that I love and continue to love and, and, it was it was a lot of fun and and you know the major leagues are different the minor leagues are different but it, it's all the same thing and quite frankly um, the minor leagues are a bit like the chemistry set and so I could bring a little bit of that to uh, the major leagues and and bring some of those ideas up that maybe um, might help and there and there's some quick wins so it it was a wonderful time and and thankfully because it was a little bit difficult on the field we could experiment a bit. And, and I think that that's really important in, in those years. So I, I loved it. It was also uh, a pretty funny conversation between Roger Bossard and I, uh, where I apologize uh, for a couple of things that happened in 79. Um, <laughs> that was a bit surreal. And, and then just, um, you know, walking around the organization and there still being people there that did have interactions with us or did know uh, members of my family and, and finding those around day to day. It was really, it was really fun. Well, you still keep in touch with what's happening regarding the White Sox and oh, yeah. yep. you, you hinted at it. Uh, fan morale morale is pretty low at the moment. What have you found in your experience working in baseball and other sports as well with fan engagement that's, key to keeping the fan community from growing apathetic because that's kind of what we're running into at Sox machine, even our partners from the 108 when we are doing these fan community events, especially in 2024, like we have to keep people engaged. We're getting a lot of, I'll meet you guys up. I'll attend your events. I'll still listen to your podcast, but I'm not going to watch the white Sox. You're going to have to do that for me. And I'm not going to go to the stadium. Like for, for someone that's in this business, like how would you try to tackle this particular issue that the Chicago White Sox are facing this upcoming season? Yeah, yeah, it's no small question. So I, I don't uh, take it lightly and we'll probably miss something. But, um, you know, and, and shout out to Sox Machine, of course. Shout out to the 108 guys. I love what they're doing. I still very much interact with them. And I think those are, those are little pieces and threads that um, are the lifeblood you know, of the fan base. And I, I think the first step to this is, is recognizing that that's the case and recognizing that the people that are around now are the people that are going to care. And uh, apathy is death. <laughs> you know, I, I negativity and disappointment and, and criticisms and feedback, those are all real parts of it. And you got to kind of sift through the noise a little bit sometimes, but it's apathy that, that really scares me. So in these times, much like I was talking about earlier is, is, it's important to, to push the envelope a little bit, to, to try a little bit, to recognize and acknowledge where you're at and understand that people know that and, and not engaging with that, I think, is only going to make things more difficult. And then try then to build out from there. So start to look at your game day experience, start to look at them from the couch to the couch again and bringing them back out to the game and making it compete with anything else, the movies, the beach, what, whatever it is, that's what we're competing with. You know, that that's that's our, our real competitors there. And getting people to the stadium in these times is part goodwill of what you've built up 
in the previous years in the history of the team and being able to continue to show that over the years and being able to continue to build that so that when times are, are tough, like right now, quite frankly, you're able to say, listen, you've been here, turn on the rewards, turn on the experience into a new iteration of whatever that is. Not to say it hasn't been happening, but to say, now's our time to really show people, hey, we hear you, we see you, our ears are open, and we're going to work on getting through whatever this means. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Those are really good points. We're not seeing that, uh, <laughs> but those are really good points that you you make, Night Train. And at the end of the film, y- your dad calls you and he pitches a job where he wants to work for you. Like he finds this minor league team and the whole idea is that for a year, Mike Vec is going to work for his son, Night Train Vec. What was that experience like bossing your dad around? <laughs> well, I don't I don't think I could do that if I tried. We're uh, we're very similar <laughs> in that regard and I, I think that um you know, it, it's it was it was really like the rest of this. It was a bit surreal and it's very interesting and and um touching. Really, it was touching to to hear that and and the faith that he had and and um the uh, consciousness and and the the realization that hey another one of us is in the game and and has loved it and will love it as much as everybody else will uh, was really a big deal and it, it it hit me it hit me you know right in the heart as a as the rest did and and um, I'll try probably until the day either one of us or both of us die to boss him around but uh, <laughs> I, I think that if and or when that does happen. You know, it, it'll be a really, a really fun time. And, and I think that he can uh, experience all the wonderful things that I experienced for so long in, in working for him in uh, several clubs. And so I, I think to be able to do that, I'm not one yet, but uh, as a father, I've got to imagine that's probably a, a pretty wonderful thing. So after baseball, you, you have, as podcast listeners, as you guys know, right now I'm in New Zealand when this podcast episode is released. I will be making my way to Australia. And after the White Sox gig, you moved to Australia for a bit and you helped with fan engagement for cricket. What was it like to try to engage fans? On, I know almost nothing about cricket. I know there's a bowler and there's a guy with a flat bat 
wearing a lot of padding. Nobody wears gloves, but if you can hit the little wood pieces behind the batter, if you can catch this, I assume, very hard ball uh, without wearing gloves and the batter is out, but I don't know how scoring works and it seems like cricket lasts forever. So for me, I would have no idea where to start on engaging fans at a sport that I, I have no knowledge of. Did you know anything about cricket when you moved down there? And what was that experience like? Yeah, it's funny because, um, well, I knew less than what you just said now. Um, I, I think that the 20 <laughs> seconds were more between wickets and bales and bats and bowlers. None of it. Um, it. It was one of those interesting moments. And I think there were plenty of people that were confused by the move. And, uh, you know, there's old night train going on a vision quest. But uh, it was really intriguing because um, of kind of thinking in the broader scheme and, and grand picture of, of both the landscape of sports and, and my career, the onus behind it was there was this little league, um, the Big Bash League down there, and I was working on the league side, so getting a little bit of league experience was important to me. Um, but they had managed to be what I would regard, and, and I, I'm – it's a bit anecdotal and I might need a fact check, but they might've been the most successful youngest sporting league in the world at the time. I think when I got there, it was their sixth season into their seventh. Um, and they were outdrawing major league baseball by about 600 fans a game. And now granted they had a different schedule. The cricket schedule is an unbelievably complex one and, and they're two different properties and all of that. But it was to me a little signal of, wow, there's something here. And it's the second biggest game in, in the world for a reason. And I thought that as they were going along, if they were able to inject all of the wonderful things that we love in terms of the minor and independent league baseball landscapes, the color, the fireworks, the marketing to families, the giveaways, the kids, um, all of that kind of stuff, if they were able to inject that into cricket, which to your exact point uh, is a five day long game <laughs> um, <laughs> and make that fun. Now, to be to be honest, my my uh, experience there was with the three hour form. But this form of cricket T20 at the Big Bash League, it was called um, shortened the game. It made it sharper. It made it more fun. It made it more of an experience. The things that we would all know very easily coming from America and it completely changed the landscape and it brought in new cricket fans and it brought in families and it brought in people looking for that entertainment and community aspects as opposed to just going for day one or day two of, of a test match. And that revolutionized the game. And I believe that Major League Baseball is actually in a very similar position in terms of demographics and the league overall and the game overall and the perceptions. My absolute favorite, absolute favorite, I, I think about this every day because, you know, I love baseball. Um, I would be there and, and go figure you've got a white guy named Night Train from Chicago working for an Australian cricket league, huh? But they would say, <laughs> you know, this baseball is such a boring sport and they just say it just like that and 
that's fine. People have their opinions. In some cases, I agree with them. When Mark Burley's pitching, it's different than when you're getting another guy that's taken yeah. four hours and you've had 12 pitching cages and we're the only persons at the stadium at the end of the night. But he would say that and I would go, mate, your game's five days long. You have tea. <laughs> you have lunch. They're done in eight hour shifts. What are you talking about? How is baseball boring? So I I, I thought it was an interesting um tie-in to where the game was at of the perception of the game and i thought that if i could get a few of the things that they're doing to make a game that with such history and that's been around for such a long time and, and to make that different and to refine it uh to bring some of that back here would be a really wonderful thing well before i let you go with that international experience it was just recently announced by the larn football club in northern ireland that the Vec family will become part owners of the club. So for soccer, football fans, again, Larn is in Northern Ireland. It's part of the Northern Ireland Football League. They won their league last season, and as we're recording this, they're doing very well in the 2023-24 campaign. They're currently second place in the standings, uh, again, as we record this episode. Okay, Night Train, how do you go from minor league baseball owner, independent league owner, to being part owner of a Northern Ireland football club. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those left turns that comes in in life, and um, we're we're pretty good at taking them, I think. And uh, we got a, a phone call from a friend of ours uh, that had a, a friend that was in the league and uh, had a couple of meetings with them. And and as we went along, uh, similar to cricket, it it just had this feeling of community and um, just rabid fandom and people loved this club and it's got an unbelievable story and soccer is the world game for a reason and when we look at something in America or in sports here most of the time hey it's 50 years old cool hey it's pretty old at 90 they're pretty old at, at 139 yeah and it only gets older from there and so to see their story from a condemned stadium to drawing 50 people a game to our partner now and, and current owner, um, Kenny, coming in and, and literally breathing life into it and revitalizing a team and watching the community get behind that and support that and come up from, I, I, I hate to be you know a bit dramatic, but come up from the ashes and then win their first title last year is unbelievable. And that being able to be a part of that ride is, is something that doesn't happen very often. And, and it, it felt very much like the beginning days of the Saints. And it felt very much like the beginning days of, of something special. So decided to seize the opportunity. Uh, it's also in a wonderful place. Larne's a great town in Northern Ireland and, and it's, it's a part of the world that, um, you know, you don't often get to see. And, and I think that being able to combine uh, again, a little bit of life and, and a little bit of what we love to do, it makes for the perfect uh, canvas. And, and they're in a really good position uh, to start to branch out and, and have some fun with their uh, team in their town. So how do we get a Larne versus Wrexham friendly match scheduled? Because, you know, you could make it a Always Sunny in Philadelphia reunion. You could have Charlie come in, represent Larne. Obviously, Rob's going to be there to represent Wrexham. Like, how do we make that happen? 
from your lips to whatever God there is ears. <laughs> if anybody's got an idea or wants to help me, sign me up. And I would... I think that we <laughs> could uh, we could get Charlie, aka my dad, and my dad on our side, and we could have a thing about it. But uh, if anybody's got a, a line in or wants to help the campaign, I'm all ears. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, best of luck. With Larn, best of luck with the minor league teams. And you can follow Night Train on Twitter at Vec as in Rec. And again, I'm so happy for you and your family's success. It is a wonderful film, The Saint of Second Chances. You could watch it on Netflix. And as I mentioned, I watched it on an airplane as I was heading to Nashville uh, for the winter meetings. And I got inspired from the film because there's very little things inspired about the Chicago White Sox as of late. And I'm just so happy that your guys' story was told and it was told in a fantastic way. And in a, in a certain way, Nitrain, it, it kind of rekindled my love for baseball, that it does remind me that it is more than just the data I'm analyzing at a baseball savant and try to make sense of why the White Sox keep signing ex-Kansas City Royals players. That it is a game and it is meant to be fun and it's meant to be enjoyed in person. Absolutely. And and at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. I feel every bit of every sentence and every bit of every White Sox fan's pain. I believe that uh, we will get through at some stage, but my God, does it hurt right now? Um, but I I, uh, I do appreciate you saying that. I appreciate the kind words about the doc. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, and and it it really meant a lot to us, much like the rest of it. So people do have to realize that, uh, that, that it is about fun. And if you follow the fun, the rest comes with it. So thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at youtube.com slash Machine. And if you're on social media, we're on all the social media platforms at Socks Machine, and you can follow me there at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. If that interests you, you can sign up again at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>